Welcome back to Psyched for Peds, the child mental health podcast for pediatric clinicians, helping you help kids. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Falucco, child psychiatrist and mom. The American Academy of Peds and Bright Futures are saying we need to screen all kids 12 years and older for suicide risk. Realistically, how do you incorporate another screening tool into your practice? We all want to help kids and improve public health, but realistically, what is an efficient and fast way and effective way to do that? And where do we start? The answer to this question comes from a real live pediatrician, Dr. Elisa Minkin, um, who's a primary care pediatrician from Oceanside, New York, who has spearheaded an effort to integrate screening for suicide risk in her large network of pediatric practices in the New York metropolitan area. So we are super excited to learn from your wisdom. Welcome, Dr. Elisa Minkin. Thank you so much for having me. And I will say I love your podcast and I'm learning from it. So I'm really excited to be here. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for saying that. And I'm glad. This is the hope is to spread knowledge and spread shared experience. So tell us a little bit about what type of practice do you work in and what type of patients do you see? I'm part of Allied Pediatrics, which is a larger supergroup of pediatric practices over the New York metro area. And one of the reasons why I joined was because they have a strong focus on mental health. It's a mixed population of private insurance and Medicaid. I think it's about 30% Medicaid and we're popular. <laughs> we get from wide range of areas of Long Island and even sometimes from Queens. That's excellent. And I think it's really helpful to hear from your experience, particularly because you are serving about a third of kids who have Medicaid and sometimes finding mental health resources for, for any kids are difficult, but particularly those served by Medicaid. So tell me about what motivated you to push for screening in your practice. When you say screening, I think you mean suicidality. We always had screening, but what screening did we do? We did the teen screen. When you say the teen screen, you mean the patient health questionnaire nine item modified for teens, which is the depression screener that contains one question that asks about suicidal thoughts. So yes, basically I listened to Pediatric Meltdown with the awesome Leah Gagino and I learned about suicide screening and how important it was and how poorly sensitive the teen screen is for that. Then it was a matter of looking into what screenings we should do. So I learned from Leah's podcast about the ASQ, the Ask Suicide Questionnaire, and I learned how sensitive and specific it was. First of all, I, this is this incredible meta experience where we're talking on a podcast about things that we want other pediatricians to know, and you're sharing about how you've learned from another podcast about <laughs> something that can help pediatricians in mental health. And so we're just on layers here. For our friends and colleagues who may not be familiar, the ASQ or the Ask Suicide Screening Questionnaire consists of five yes or no questions that take about 10 to 20 seconds for somebody to complete. But back to the sensitivity of screens. So Lisa Horowitz, who developed the Ask Suicide Screening Questionnaire, which is a specific tool designed to screen for suicide risk, did this amazing study. And I won't tell you all of the details, but the bottom line is exactly what you said, that if you only screen kids using the patient health questionnaire nine item, which includes a specific question asking about in the past two weeks, if you had thoughts about suicide or about hurting yourself, 
that if you only do that screening, you miss one third of the kids who are at elevated risk for suicide. From a clinical perspective, I think about it in terms of Venn diagrams because I'm very visual. Your risk for suicide can be conveyed by two different ways or two different pathways. You've got the traditional circle where you have your child who is depressed or has a lot of mental health concerns and that the suicidality is tied into the depression and the depression screeners are good at picking up the kids who have mood-related suicidality. But then there's this other circle of kids who have elevated risk for suicide that are the ones with the impulsive aggression. These are more of the ADHD kids who are more severely ill and have a history of fighting. And the issue is they get hot and bothered really quickly. And so somebody upsets them and they go from zero to 60 really quickly. And if they have access to lethal means or lethal weapons, they may reach for them and act using them. Bottom line is if we only screen for depression and see related to depression, we're missing this whole subgroup of kids who are at elevated risk of suicide. A third of them, in fact, according to Lisa Horowitz. Take us back to the story about the steps of implementing screening, not just in your practice, but in the larger mega group that you called it in metropolitan New York. So we immediately started in my practice of eight doctors of doing the ask suicide, just the plain ask suicide. In our practice, we do papers. And we actually started getting positives and dealt with them. Then I proposed the combined PHQ-9, GAD-7 for anxiety, and ASK suicide, which is what we are using, which I think is the ideal screener for a busy practice, because guess what? It's on one piece of paper, if you have paper, and it can potentially go into your EMR, depending on your EMR's issues. Some want to push to the phone, some want it directly in the, I don't know, we use paper. (laughs) But you just said the most amazing thing. It's the ideal screener for a busy practice. Like, ding, you just saved tons of our colleagues lots of time. And To recap, it's the PHQ or PHQ-9 or PHQ-A, which is essentially is a depression screener for kids, plus the GAD-7, which screens for generalized anxiety, plus the ASQ, which assesses suicide risk. And it is all on one page. So you mentioned that you were getting positive screens specifically on the ASQ or the suicide risk questionnaire. The data has said that there's somewhere like fewer than 10% of -hmm. kids we think will screen positive on the ASQ. What was your clinical experience? My clinical experience is that the vast majority are negative. And I do want to go back for just a minute and say the other sticking point, of course, was what will we do if they're positive? It was always going to be a hesitation to add a screen because you have to know what will we do if it's positive. You need a plan. You need a plan. It turns out that the vast majority, thankfully, are negative completely negative. And that takes two seconds. It really takes them so quickly, a few minutes to finish. It takes you one second to look at it. It does not add time in a busy practice that is significant compared to the yield. So that's the first thing. You will get a certain percentage of kids who've had suicidality in the past, but they're not actively having it now. And I think that's a really important group because you're going to talk about it. You're still going to talk about it and you're going to know these kids are higher risk, but you don't send them to the emergency room. You don't need to have a huge, long, drawn out visit because of this. And then there's a tiny percent that are more actively suicidal. And you need to know about those. So that you can help them and try to understand what's going on and get them the right kind of help. This tiny percent that are high risk or positive and actively suicidal, meaning it's not just that they had a suicidal thought once in the remote past, but maybe more recently they're having passive or active suicidal thoughts. What do you do? How does your practice handle these positive screens clinically? 
First of all, there are questions that you're supposed to ask that's right on the sheet if they're positive. So they make it really easy for you. And I think it's important to get comfortable talking about suicidal ideation as part of your toolbox. I think it's important to find out just how active it is. But I will say, I will be really honest here. I will send, and my, and my colleagues will send to the emergency room if there is active suicidal ideation. You might be able to suss out those kids who really can wait and go to a clinic the next day, but you might not be able to. And that's going to really also depend on your resources. And I think we have to really be honest about that. I know the idea is not to send unnecessarily to the emergency room and those kids who've had suicidality in the past, those kids who were not actively suicidal, those you should be able to figure out and send home with proper follow-up. But you are going to have a collection of kids who you might not be able in your office to figure out just how suicidal they are. And I think it's very reasonable to send them to an emergency room. But I will say, if you can at all send them to an emergency room that has pediatric psychiatric facility as well, if you have that option, that would be so much better. I'm going to add, though, that there's so many other factors here. We have a lot of patients where we do not have good follow-up, and we have to factor that in. You may have a relationship with the family and good follow-up, or you may have no relationship with the family and potentially no follow-up. And so I think that really matters. And I totally agree, too. It's a different story if you've got a kid who already has a therapist and or a psychiatrist, and they're well-known to your practice, as opposed to somebody who may even be new to you to the practice or has not been really well-established with any sort of outpatient care, those kids are scarier. And trying to put all of those pieces together isn't as simple as a little algorithm, for sure. You can't do this just by algorithm. You can't. No. (laughs) I know. But I'm giving grace to all the physicians who say, I'm going to consent to the emergency room. And I don't mean just if they ever mention the word suicide, but from that act of suicide, which is a tiny percent. What you've done is you've picked them out. Exactly. And we wouldn't have known. And right. What I love about this screen, I find that teenagers actually respond better to screens than direct questioning. And what I love about the ask is that it is granular. There's just more information that you're going to get from it than from the PHQ-9. Yeah. You're finding out specifically if they've had previous suicide attempts and if they're having current suicidal thoughts or recent suicidal thoughts. How do you decide which kids to screen or at which age groups or at which visits? What's practical for you guys and for your practice? We do it for routine well visits 11 and up. And I will say that I was a little anxious about the 11-year-olds. We had to make a cutoff. It is approved for that age group. And a number of our positives came from that 11-year-old group. I will pull out that same three-part screen for patients that come in with these vague physical complaints or obvious signs of possible depression or anxiety. I will also screen for the suicidality at the same time. That's great. Can you think about a recent case where you had a kid with a positive A in your practice and walk us through how you handled it? So yes, of course, and it's going to be meta for you because it's going to come back to you, your trauma talk that I just heard right around the same week. So we had a teenager who had been seen by a practice for many years and previously diagnosed with ADHD, but I don't believe other mood disorders and had a very positive anxiety, depression, and suicide screen with active suicidal thoughts. I was not the pediatrician. My colleague was, and they sent to the emergency room and they assessed her and did not find her to be at risk to herself. And I called up for follow-up and found out that the child's been having these thoughts, is in therapy, but not telling her therapist that. 
So I went through the whole safety planning, went to call 911. She had the therapist number in her phone. Is there any guns or knives? All those kind of things that I would do with a patient who's now home and no longer in the emergency room. So getting back to your trauma podcast that I heard was that there was trauma behind this, Mm -hmm. which we have not been screening for yet. My other colleague brought the patient back in, is working really hard on service coordination for this family to get them trauma-focused CBT. She listened to your podcast as well. Oh my- Is this though, right? I mean- very meta. Right? One other thing I'm very excited about Allied has is we have a- social worker whose sole job is to make mental health referrals. We all fought for it because we knew we needed it because you can't just hand a piece of paper like you can for all the other specialists. All they're going to get is we're full, we don't take insurance. And I've had people come back a year later saying, I've been trying the entire year to get my child counseling. Exactly. And in that year, they're not magically getting better. That's not how mental health problems work and psychosocial issues and family dynamics typically don't just spontaneously resolve. Um, right. And if you don't have one of these social workers, Project Teach and other the, of these, what are they called again? The Child Psychiatry Access Programs. Yes. 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 It sounds like a respiratory thing, but okay. It does. <laughs> I know. Why did we, let's think about our abbreviations, guys. Yes. In New York, it's Project Teach, which makes sense. They often will help you with referrals. So what you're talking about is a lot of states have a statewide child psychiatry access program where you literally dial a hotline during business hours, Monday through Friday. So you can have access to a child psychiatrist and also to probably much more helpful in a lot of situations is somebody who is a caseworker or somebody who has an enhanced understanding of the various mental health resources throughout the state and in various communities and can say, ah, trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy in this area of New York, I would recommend Lubity Blue tips or advice that you could give to pediatricians who are thinking, oh, I don't know if I can add one more thing. In terms of the ask, I cannot state enough how much yield you get from this screen. It takes you a few seconds to score it. It takes them like two minutes to do it. It's so important to to be looking for this and talking about it. It really is because it's prevalent and you could save a life or many lives. I think that's the key is that it's quick and easy and it's going to save a life. Absolutely. Suicide is the second leading cause of death in our teens and tweens and young adults in the U.S. And there's so many risk factors that are modifiable. There's so many things we can do to lower their risk if we can catch them early. I think it's really important to normalize talking about mental health and suicidality. Remember I said I was nervous about putting it out there at 11. I was afraid parents would say, oh my God, my 11-year-old. We're picking it up in 11-year-olds, first of all. And I haven't had one parent complain. I haven't had one parent say to me, oh, this is too young. Why are you screening my child? And I think that's really important. It's very rewarding to make a difference in people's lives. We can still do this. This is why you're a mental health advocate, because you've seen a difference (laughs) you can make. You've seen the kids go from not doing well to feeling so much better and being more successful at school with friendships. And that is incredibly rewarding. And it's an investment for sure, but it will pay off. Absolutely. Dr. Elisa Minkin, thank you for being an incredible mental health champion and advocate and for sharing with Psych for Peds your experiences. Thank you very much, Dr. Elise Faluco, for having me. It was a pleasure. For our friends and colleagues, thank you so much for joining us. If you want to get copies of the ASQ or learn more about it, check out our website at psychedthenumber4peds.com. And while you're there, please send me a chat or drop me a line to let me know what you want to learn and what you want to hear about. And tune in next week as we talk about how to ask kids more detailed questions about suicidality and then how to talk with parents when you're concerned about a child's suicidality. Thanks again. See you next time.